So Money Episode 710, Ask Farnoosh, with special co-host Michelle Bachi. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Happy Friday, March 30th, the last day of March. Are we going to actually see some spring? At least on the East Coast, we've been hurting real bad, you know, with a blizzard on the first day of spring. And I decided then that I was just going to get out of town. So as you are hearing this, I'm on a flight to Florida. I just decided last minute to book some tickets just for me and Evan and Todd, my brother, to go down to Fort Lauderdale and spend the weekend with some friends and some sun and some pool and some beach because I needed it. And the reason we are just going with half the family is because parents, as you know, with children under the age of four or any you know multiples of kids, sometimes it's just easier to divide and conquer. And we did a family trip in January and that was a lot of fun, although it was a lot of work, a lot of gear, a lot of just uh, nonstop you know, catering to children. And look, uh, I think that has its benefits sometimes and it can be fun. But uh, it's going to be just me and Evan this time, and I think it will be a nice bonding experience for the two of us and then Tim and Colette together in Brooklyn. You know, it will miss each other, of course, but I think that in all, in the end, uh, it might be a more fun trip for for Evan and I. And then, you know, in the future, Tim can, he's my guest. He can go and take Evan anywhere he wants, and I'll stay home with the lovely Colette. But I uh, just thought that was a timely thing to share. So I'm on a plane right now, even though I'm not really. I'm filming this from my home, but or filming, recording this from the house, but uh, it's airing on the 30th, and um, I will hopefully be seeing sunnier pastures in a couple of hours. Very excited to introduce our guest today. She, well, not really our guest, our co-host, right? Fridays are all about spotlighting the listeners. And we have a listener today, Michelle Bocci, all the way from Los Angeles, although a native New Yorker. And this is so cool. She is pursuing a career in television and specifically comedy and entertainment writing. She also does stand-up. And in her spare time, she listens to this podcast. How cool am I that I have someone so cool like Michelle tuning into So Money? Michelle, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Farnish. Great to be here. I'm really impressed. I've, I think secretly I've always I've always fantasized about stand-up comedy and being a stand-up comedian or just being a, a comedian on television. And you're you're working on it. Tell me how you have the courage to get up on stage every night or however often you do. And what's kind of your shtick? Well, it's definitely not a glamorous lifestyle, so it's it's hard to do day after day. Um, I, I myself am more of a storyteller, so I'll usually launch into a several minute story. It doesn't have traditional punchlines, but it's usually based on my life, which is more funny often than not. So it's, it's easy to get material from real life. Yeah. What do you tend to make jokes about? Um, just kind of like everyday occurrences, especially living in Los Angeles, a lot of the lifestyle here, um, a lot of like... Just like, you know, people living in suburbia with their little dogs and 
dog strollers and very like picture perfect life and the small minute things that can go wrong and just throw you off. And so how have you been managing your money with this climb to success? You know, since you're in the beginnings of a lot of it and you probably have good months, bad months, I don't know if you have a consistent paycheck, kind of take me into your financial life a little bit and share how it's all working or not. It's definitely a process with a learning curve to it. Um, I moved here from New York back in October. So I've only been here five months or so. And New York really was harder for me to live with financially because the rent is just like astronomical and you're really um, paying for like living next to every business that you want. It's hard to say no living in New York. So I've kind of, by my move to Los Angeles, I've leveled out a little bit financially. I'm able to save more out here. Um, So I'm able to add more to like savings accounts and investments and that helps a lot. What is it like for a female in the entertainment industry today? You kind of arrived in Hollywood or Los Angeles at a very interesting time. I think a a good time, a lot of momentum for women right now. Good momentum. Yes, it's very exciting. Um, I've been going to a lot of comedy stand-up mics where like – We might, it might be an all female mic where guys are not even allowed inside, just like to create a safe space just for one night. And it's definitely empowering to see women band together and say, this is our time for our voice to be heard. And you see the marginalized voices giving, giving more power to them every day. So I think the future looks brighter and brighter. Good for you. Really proud of you. What's something that I can help you with? This is Ask Farnoosh after all. And uh, before we tackle our other listeners' questions, I thought I would give you an opportunity to, you know, let me know what's on your money mind. Gosh, um, that's that's a good question. I guess just I know I am I'm fairly young. I'm 27, so I'm still putting the pieces together as I go along in life. Um, I guess just when do you think is the right age to to start thinking about owning more of your property, like your car? Like when do you think is the right age to take on bigger risk and start saving for a house and more bigger purchases? I suppose it's really never a bad time to start saving for those long-term goals. If that is something that you aspire to achieve, you want to become a homeowner, you want to purchase a car instead of maybe leasing, you want to get married, start a family, it's all that stuff, invest more. I think, you know, my question to you is what, have you made any efforts towards like investing for the long run? There's retirement, but there's also a lot of other goals that you don't even know about yet that may may occur to you in the next 10 years that you want to achieve. And I think that money that you can sock away investing it would be worthwhile. Now, this isn't money that you're going to, you know, use in the next couple of years. You wouldn't want to risk it. But if there is something that you want to achieve, like you're 27 now and maybe by 40, you want to like have a home and settle down more and, and have more uh, ownership in your assets, I think that the sooner you start just tucking away money, the better. And you don't need to be super clear on the goal yet. It helps, certainly, but I think life changes and we're allowed to change our goals and our 
attitudes towards things. But if you just know that you want to have more stability and more of a more security in your life in the future, then that just takes saving as much as you can and investing as much as you can today. I don't know if you have access to something like a retirement plan at work. I don't know how you're, do you work full time? Are you just freelancing? How does it work? Um, technically, I'm employed through a couple part-time jobs. So I don't have um, traditional retirement plans. I don't have a 401k, but I've managed to set up things for myself on the side. So I have a Roth IRA that I contribute to. I have a couple small investments that I contribute to, but nothing really planned out for me. So it's more like putting puzzle pieces together. If you are not super certain yet on what the things that you want to own, like you don't, maybe you You've heard that home ownership could be a way to go, but you're not really super passionate about it right now or not really focused on it. Listen, it's never a bad thing to just save. And the, the rule of thumb is 10% for a rainy day, another 10% for retirement automatically. But if you can do more than that, especially because you're gonna you're going down a path where you may be gainfully employed every year, every day for the rest of your life, or at least for the the majority of your life. Or like a lot of creatives, you have projects and they come and they go and then they come back. And so they might have periods where you're not working. So it's even more important for people, I think, that are entrepreneurial, creative, working in industries that are not unnecessarily annual, that it's it's sometimes very much a project-based kind of work that you save as much as you can, have that financial runway. It's only going to help you in the future when you're maybe torn between two opportunities. One pays more than the other, but the one that pays less might be more interesting to you, might be more opportunistic in other ways. You really want to do it. So you should be able to do it. But if you have, And if you have the savings to back you up, it's going to be much easier to do that and to do those sorts of things. Take a little bit of a, some more risk in your career. Does right. that make sense? It does. I keep I'm adding to my rainy day emergency fund like every month just because as you said, like I want it to be padded enough that I feel secure to take risks and that I'm never like hungry to, you know, have more money in the bank. Yes. Somebody was on the show recently, I can't remember now. Maybe it'll come to me, but she was like, you know, oh yeah, it was Trisha Brooke, who is a director and a choreographer and She's amazing. You should listen to that episode. She is an artist and she said, you know, she never quite understood what was the sexiness or appeal of being a starving artist. It's sort of – we throw around this expression and we're like, oh, you know, they're making the ultimate sacrifice and we should really respect them. And she's like, I I don't understand that. You know, I want to – I think there's a way to be able to be an artist and also be able to pay your bills and – and build a financial nest egg at the same time. It's not something that may be intuitive to artists or uh, something that we're necessarily taught in school, but it would behoove us to figure it out because then, ironically, it's what allows us to be more creative, right, is when you have financial security. You can have clear mind and free reign to kind of experiment and take risks and be out of the box and all that, all that important stuff. Exactly. It's on the, the hierarchy of needs. You need to feel secure enough to do the rest of the things you want to in life. Yes. Yes. All right. So I'm glad we got you set up. We got you all set up, right? You're all good? No all good. 
No more financial needs? Okay. Joanna has left us a voicemail. And what we're going to do next is just hit, hit play on that. And then we'll come back to helping her out. How does that sound, Michelle? That sounds great. All right. Here we go. Here's Joanna talking about retirement. Hi, Farnoosh. I'm 24 and I work at a large nonprofit that offers lots of retirement savings plans for employees, including a 401A, 403B, a 457, and a state pension program that is mandatory to contribute to. However, with my job goals, I know I won't be at this job for longer than two years, and I know I won't be able to contribute to the max in all of the plans that I just mentioned. That said, which savings plan of the ones I listed should I take advantage of? Thanks. All right. So that is Joanna. She's 24. And we actually learned uh, that she lives in Minnesota for what it's worth uh, because she mentioned uh, she has a state pension program. And I don't know much about Minnesota, but I will say that state pension programs, they, they used to be kind of bulletproof. You know, these are pension programs and by when you retire, it's guaranteed money. But, um, you know, a lot of states are running deficits. It would be worthwhile to just kind of look into your state pension program and really understand how that money is being invested. How is your state doing financially? A lot of these pensions have insurance backup in case the state is running a deficit and cannot fulfill the payouts. That said, I, I would look at all of these 401A, 403B, 457 state pension program and try to do an apples to apples comparison as best you can. The questions you want to have answered are, you know, what are your investment options within these, within these different plans? Or do any of these plans offer any extra incentives other than just allowing you to grow your money more aggressively through the use of like the stock market. Um, for example, are any of these programs, do they have a match program? Do they have particular funds that are really attractive, like index funds that are low fee, low cost? And then I would also ask around your uh, company and, and just kind of take a survey, like what are most people doing? Now, I'm not saying, you know, follow the herd, because that can get you in trouble, but it is kind of worthwhile as you do your research to see what where most people are landing and why. Why did you choose the 403B versus the 457 or the state pension program? And you like she said, she's only going to be there for two years, Michelle. So uh, mm-hmm. it's not like she's going to be married to any of these particular plans forever. So the other question you want to f- have answered is when you leave, are any of these plans the sort that won't allow you to roll them into a new plan? Right. I would agree. I think it's important to investigate each plan separately, especially as it pertains to Joanna's employer, because each employer could be different, especially with 401A. That seems to have a lot more variations. Just know what the terms are for each one before you register for them. It's nice that she's got options, especially for working at a nonprofit. Sometimes nonprofits don't have any retirement plans, but it sounds like it's a larger one, and so they probably have more resources. Honestly, you can't go wrong at this age. Just start investing. Do something. Get in the market, and uh, you can you can fine tune it as you as you go on and move up your move up in your career. Just to get into the habit of saving extra money is is a smart habit to make. Yes, automatic and just just get in early as possible. All right, Amy says, what is the best place to park extra money for retirement? So Amy has already maxed out 
uh, her 401k or 401a as it is at work. It's actually an employer-matched program, which is great. She's putting extra money into a Roth IRA. Other thoughts? Well, I would say if she if she isn't maxing out the Roth IRA, I would do that. She says she's just putting extra in the Roth IRA. If you have more money left over, just take full advantage of that Roth because it's one of those investment vehicles that does have an income limitation. So the more you earn, eventually you might be uh, ineligible for the Roth. So while you can take advantage of it to the fullest. At this point, I would say now might be the time to turn to something like an, a digital platform, an automated platform, investment platform, where you can invest in the stock market. You're not going to earn any sort of tax benefit like you may with your 401k or your Roth, but it is what most people turn to after they have exhausted all the other uh, vehicles that offer more tax benefits, all those other retirement vehicles. I would just want to congratulate Amy because she's already doing so much and it's awesome that she maxed out the 401a. I would agree with you that she should max out the Roth while she's at it. Um, the one thing that popped out for me was she could look into a CD or a certificate of deposit account because then it's a pretty safe investment. It's like a, a kind of extra padding savings account where the money will be there and she could park it for a year or more and that returns a little bit extra on her, on her money. That's a good idea. And she she did say she wants to do this for retirement. So she's looking for long-term vehicles. I would say if you do the CD, I would I would look for something like a 10-year CD. You could even ladder it, you know, so you get like a a 1-year, a 5-year, a 10-year. I don't know, do they have 20-year CDs? Probably. And then uh, just kind yeah. of roll the once every, you know, when when the 1-year CD runs out, then you put that money into the 5-year and you start a new one year and kind of go on uh, up the ladder, as they say. There's so many options out there. So it's it's worth seeing what your risk tolerance is and where you're willing to yes. play with money a little bit. Very, very good point. Yeah. Right. If you're um, wanting to take a little bit more risk because you're, you're doing all the conservative things, then you might look into alternative investments – I'm not going to say invest in Bitcoin, but <laughs> this is a you know you're now at the stage where you've sort of done all, you've done all the right things, and now maybe you want to take a little bit more risk with the money. I'll just caution and say that with any kind of alternative investment, it's very high risk, right? So you have to be re- really willing to kiss that money goodbye. Um, but maybe that's something that you're willing to do. Maybe you'll take that money and invest it in a startup. Maybe you'll take that money and invest it in a property right. that you want to rent out. So there's all like lots of stuff you could do. Uh, but it's just, again, like Michelle said, it's really your, like where your um, risk tolerance lies and um, also what can your stomach handle. <laughs> right. And there's a chance you could retire a little earlier or a little later, depending how it goes. Yeah. So all right. You're okay with Well, that. let me tell you, I'm just so... I'm just, I want to give all these women a virtual high five, Amy, Joanna, for your amazing questions. And I love that you're thinking about these things and that I feel lucky to have you in the So Money Nation. It's, we're, we're, we're a good bunch. I feel good about us. I think we're all going to be okay. I think so too. Hmm. Antonia, you want to read off her question for us, Michelle? Sure. Antonia says, any recommendations for financing a cross-country move to New York for work? 
Also, how can I know what my higher salary requirement will be when the cost of living will be higher? Any tips, advice there? Well, I'm going to put you in the hot seat, Michelle, because you kind of did the reverse (laughs) cross country. You went from New York to LA. I did. How did you – were there any cost savings that you came across? I definitely planned for this move for a long time. Um, My lease was ending on my apartment, so I was able to move in with my parents for a couple months, and that saved me a few months of rent and just like – you know, small expenses. And that helps a lot with putting extra money in the bank. So I don't know what Antonia's specific situation is, but if she's able to, you know, cut the cost of rent or groceries for a little bit, just to have extra money to play with, that would really help. Um, She could also look into writing off her moving expenses on her tax return. If she is moving for work, there's uh, certain regulations where you can write off a good chunk of your moving expenses on your taxes so long as you can prove that you're moving a certain amount of miles and you're working for a certain amount of weeks out of the year. So it's worth investigating. Um, she could also do a spreadsheet for the cost of the actual move, whether it's cheaper to like move with her stuff. I don't know if she's flying or if she's driving, but versus taking it with her versus shipping it. Shipping can be pretty expensive. So the more she's able to carry or sell before she moves, the the better off she'll be. Yeah, and if you're moving to New York, you're not gonna probably living in a in a mansion. Right. <laughs> um a lot of people awesome. here. Yeah, it's all about efficient living here if you can. I would recommend, Antonia, that you also once you do that spreadsheet of costs, talk to your book. Did you mention this, Michelle? Like talk to your employer, your new employer, yeah. who's asking you to move across the country for them that if they will help to subsidize at least some of the costs, maybe they'll pay for something. Um, A lot of times there is something in the budget, whether that's the actual freight cost of moving your stuff over, it's the uh, uh, sort of adjustment period cost where maybe you have to sublet an apartment or get temp housing for two months until you find your 12-month lease somewhere. Is there something that they can – refer you to at least as far as like maybe a corporate discount at a moving company? Like, I mean, come on, like, can you help me out here? I'm sure that uh, they've been asked this question before and they might have something to offer you, but sometimes it's up to us to ask the question. It depends on the company, I'm sure, but they should be, they should have had this issue occur before. So I'm sure they know how to offer you something, hopefully, something that can assuage the cost of all of this. And as far as asking for what your higher salary requirement should be in this new city, I would also do a little bit of research, go on Glassdoor, find out what the average salary range is for your job title in New York, and then assess what you think you're worth, like for all the value you bring to the company. And then when it comes time to ask for that salary, I would just ask for the highest number in your range, say it with confidence, because I'm sure you're worth it. Yeah. When in doubt, tack on another 20% because you want to leave room for negotiating. But uh, I'll also like the site Comparably.com. So there's Payscale, Glassdoor, Comparably, all really rich sites. And what they help you do is identify average salaries based not just on work experience and job title, but location. So certainly, I would assume if you're working in New York versus Detroit, the New York salary 
all things equal, because of the geography, the cost of living here is going to be higher. And I would say that if you feel like the salary in New York is, or the average salary in New York for this job seems to be comparable to what you're making now, always, I mean, Leah Goldman, guest on the show, who uh, is running television at Lifetime right now, a television division, formerly with Marie Claire, formerly with Forbes, real badass, awesome woman. She's like always just ask for 20% more. Get the, get to the number that you think you're worth at, like what you're, what the number that you'd be happy with getting. Don't ask for that. They're going to want to negotiate and you'll end up somewhere lower. So always add another 20 to maybe 30%. Seems crazy, but I think that as women, sometimes we go in with lowball offers and you just got to start high because it's going to be a back and forth and you might land where you want it, but it's going to mean starting a little bit higher to get there. Right. Because you want to leave that little bit of wiggle room. And if you if you think about you know a man who has the same job as you, he probably goes in with all this confidence thinking, I'm worth this. Like It's just the kind of the masculine attitude we're used to in the workplace. They assume they're worth more. Women need to do that more often. All right. And last but not least, a question here from Jordan about credit scores. Jordan is 32 years old, has a credit score of 605. And the reason is, is that Jordan missed many student loan payments. Jordan's eliminated all debt and will be recently receiving an inheritance and wondering if there are any ways to use this inheritance to improve Jordan's credit score. And choosing the right investment options. So investment options is separate from the credit score and they're not related. So your credit score does not depend on how you invest. Right. Um, Your credit score really just depends on how well you pay your bills on time, how much debt you're carrying relative to how much credit you have, and a few other factors. But mostly it's your your bill payment history. So Jordan, I'm not sure if this inheritance is really going to go far to help you with your credit score, although indirectly, you know, if you save it or invest it well and you create kind of a financial nest egg for yourself, some more financial security to ensure that you never fall again behind on your debts and your bill payments, then it's, you know, then in that way it can help to fortify your score. But at this point, it's just going to mean paying your bills on time keeping that debt to credit ratio very low, uh, not making sure if you can, paying your balances in full every month. And over time, you should see the score improve. Uh, As far as where to put that money, I always say, you know, Michelle, have you ever received an inheritance? No, um, not not yet. (laughs) Not yet. But I think, yeah, I mean, it's true. A lot of us will probably – well, maybe be on the receiving end of them, but I don't think that it's necessary to decide right away what to do with it. Um, in this case, Jordan hasn't even gotten the inheritance yet. Just putting so it in the bank is a good just good start. The, Yeah. For a little bit, you know, at least for like a six-month period, kind of sit on it. I'm not saying you're going to just wake up one day and know what to do with it, but I don't think there's any rush. Right. And I, what I would suggest is maybe automating bill payments so that you don't fall behind again. Um, and having, you know, extra money in your checking account to make that possible, it can make life a little bit easier, but you know, you shouldn't count the chickens before they hatch. So maybe wait until <laughs> you actually have the inheritance before you decide what to do with it. 
so I hope that helps answer your question, Jordan. And I, I mean, I think that your, your score will improve over time. And uh, another way to increase your credit score sooner than later, it's kind of a hack, is to call up your credit card company and ask them to increase your limit. Sometimes they'll just do it. There's right. no harm necessarily. And it's not because you want to spend more or have a higher balance. It's because you want to raise your credit limit all the while keeping your debt balances the same. It will reduce your debt to credit ratio. And that is a huge chunk in terms of your credit score calculation. But just automate those bills, never be late, and that's going to go a very long way. And I think in about a year's time, you should see a, a, a much a much improved credit score. All right. What are your plans for the weekend, Michelle? Um, this weekend, I usually work over the weekend. So working a little bit, um, writing a little bit. Uh, no big plans, but it's good weather in LA. I know it's not great on the East Coast. So maybe going outside, going hiking somewhere. Do you think you'll ever come back to the city, to New York, that is? Um, I think I'll end up traveling there if my career goes the way I want it to. I'll probably end up on each coast for a little bit of the year. But as far as the winter, I'm I'm pretty much game to avoid New York for every winter from now on. I don't blame you. Florida is calling my name as we speak. All right. Florida. Thank you so much, Michelle. <laughs> it was it was really a pleasure getting to know you. Um, thank you for listening to the show. I cannot wait to see you uh, in the spotlight very soon. I know it's going to happen. Uh, so just keep on trekking. Thank you so much, Parnish. This was excellent. And everybody else, I hope your weekend is so money. Money.